0: You are worthless. You can't do anything right. No one wants to be around you. You don't have what it takes. No one ever listens to you. Just stop trying. You are pathetic. You are such a disappointment.
1: Those are heavy, aren't they? Well, I want to start off with an old story about the devil when he decided that he was going to have a going-out-of-business cell. You see, he was very old and very tired, so he decided that he would quit his job and he would allow other demons to buy his stuff... And take it from there. Well, all of his goods were out on display for his demonic customers. And each of them had a price marked on them for what he wanted to get out of each of them. And some of them were pretty expensive. Hatred, envy, jealousy, greed. But there was one particular tool that was kind of separated from all the others. It was the most worn out and yet it had the most ridiculous price tag on it of all. One particular customer said, well, what is this tool? And Satan replied, well, that's my most prized possession. It's my greatest tool and it's called discouragement. See, don't let the shape of this fool you. It works when none of my other tools succeed. With this tool, all I have to do is reach out and I can touch any person on the face of the earth And I can sow seeds of discouragement and despair in their heart. And the best part is, they don't even know that I'm the one who's doing it. Discouragement. Now, last week, if you joined us for this series, The Devil at Your Doorstep, we talked about how one of the things that Satan loves to do is he loves to deceive us and cause us to question or doubt God's love, God's goodness, or God's word. Now, today we're going to talk about his second tool that he uses, and often uh, it is his weapon of choice if he can't deceive us. If he can't get us to uh, be blinded in our mind or deceived in our mind, he will often move to this tool where he can come against our emotions and our heart. And he does a really, really great job at it. As a matter of fact, what makes discouragement such a terrible weapon against us is that you and I often don't even realize where it's coming from. All we know is life is hard, things are difficult at times, the trials never seem to end. And you may even be here today thinking, yeah, I can completely relate with that. I just feel beat up. And See, that's the power of the enemy. And if he can come and he can take the circumstances in our life to take away our courage or literally to discourage us, Well, he's won, hasn't he? Because we're not so much of a threat to his kingdom when we're struggling and discouraged. Well, there's good news. It doesn't have to be that way. In fact, there's a passage in the Bible that I believe can show us a lot of where this discouragement comes from, why discouragement grows, and what you and I can do to fight against it. Now, interestingly enough, uh, this story actually begins with something positive, a victory uh, that the Israelites had up on Mount Carmel about 900 years uh, before Jesus came to earth. It was a time in Israel when they were ruled by a very wicked king named Ahab, and he was married to just the most terrible woman named Jezebel. And together they ruled over Israel as they encouraged the people to follow uh, the false gods of the land that were named Baal and Asherah. Well, the good news is, They weren't just left to uh, terrorize the people of the land alone, but God had raised up a great prophet named Elijah, who was bold and courageous. He was an intense guy, and he faced off with, uh, of course, the false prophets. So we're going to take a look at that story because I believe we can learn a lot about how to deal with discouragement in these next couple of moments, okay? Well, At God's request, the Bible tells us that Elijah met with King Ahab, and I want you to notice what he said. He said, now summon all Israel to join me at Mount Carmel, along with the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah, who are supported by Jezebel. So Elijah runs into Ahab. He says, listen, I want you to go get all the false prophets and bring them here to Mount Carmel. I'm going to go tell all the people to join us at Mount Carmel, and we're going to have a showdown. This is going to be an epic battle, but it really isn't a battle that's going to take place between Elijah and the false prophets. This is going to be a battle between the one true living God and all these false gods that the people of the time worshipped. Well, if you know the story, uh, the, the battle began early in the morning. They set up this altar and they put a bull on it. And then the prophets of Baal called all day for Baal to answer by fire and devour the offering, but it never happened. Later in the day, Elijah did the same thing. He set up his bull, and he poured it with water all over it, and then he called on the true and living God, and if you know the story, God answered with fire. The fire came down from heaven, consumed not only the altar, but all the water around it, and there was this great victory that happened. I want to show you what the people said. The Bible says, when all the people saw this, They fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Then Elijah commanded them, seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. They seized them and Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered there. Man, this was awesome, right? I mean, this was like the spiritual Super Bowl and team Elijah had just obliterated the false prophets and their team. Now you would think that this meant that things were going to change with Jezebel and Ahab, right? Well, that wasn't the case. And see, I I think that's our first lesson on where discouragement comes from. I think discouragement starts when our expectations aren't met. When we do all the right things and go to all the right doctors, but we don't get healed. When we go to see the marriage counselor again and again and again, but things don't seem to get better. When we lose our job when we lose our finances, when difficult things happen, and they don't go the way that we expected, right? That's certainly the case for Elijah. I'm sure that here he was on that mountaintop thinking, this is great, all the, all the false prophets have been killed, and certainly Jezebel and Ahab, they're going to either repent of their sin or they're going to run to the hills to avoid the same fate as those false prophets. But that's not at all what happened, and I think it threw Elijah for a loop. Here's what happened in 1 Kings 19.1. It says, Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah has done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Wow. (laughs) Instead of being completely freaked out by what had just happened, Jezebel's just more fired up, isn't she? So she pronounces a curse and says within the next 24 hours, she's going to find Elijah and she's going to take his life. So help her false gods. So what does Elijah do? Well, he did what you and I probably would do. He completely freaked out. It says in the next verse, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. He didn't stop. He didn't pray about it. He didn't think about it. He just took off, right? I can understand that kind of moment of fear when his expectations weren't met. It's tough when things don't go the way you expect, right? I heard about this woman named Jodi Berry back in 2001. She was living uh, in Florida, right? And all the crazy things happen in Florida. We all know that's the case. So she's living in Florida. She's working at a restaurant that also is a bar. And uh, the owner of the restaurant throws out this challenge. He says, We're about to start a brand-new month, and whoever sells the most beer this next month, we're going to buy you a brand-new Toyota. Now, she is so excited because it's like, wow, her car is a piece of junk, and she is desperately in need of a new vehicle. So she sets her mind to sell the most beer at this place, and sure enough, she does. She picks up all the extra shifts she can. She encourages people to get a refill on their drinks, and by the end of the month, she has totally blown everybody away and sold the most beer. Well, the day comes, when it is time to uh, give her her reward, and so they blindfolded Jody, and they walked her by hand out to the parking lot. But things didn't go the way she thought they would. Instead of taking off her blindfold and seeing this beautiful new Toyota to drive home, she took off her blindfold, and there was a gift-wrapped box instead. She grabbed the box and began to open it and inside was her gift, a toy Yoda. <laughs> this is a real picture of her. You can Google it, Jody Berry, meeting right there in this photo with her new Toyota and planning a lawsuit against her business. Man, that is rough, a Toyota. I love it. But here's the thing. I know. Things didn't go the way that she wanted them to go and they certainly didn't go the way that poor Elijah wanted him to go either. And so this guy just goes, man, he goes running for the hills. Notice what the passage says next, verse 3. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. So Elijah was on the run. He was doing kind of this, this just get away from the problem scenario. So he gets to this place called Beersheba. And Elijah had this servant that was always with him no matter where he went, but he decides to leave his servant there in Beersheba and then go on by himself without him. Why? Why would he do this? Well, the Bible doesn't tell us. Maybe he thought his servant would be safer away from him. That could be. Maybe he was planning to leave and never go back, kind of like that time when Moses ran away from Egypt. Or maybe he just needed his space, right? We talk about needing our space. Uh, when we're stressed out. But this didn't help the situation, guys, because here's the thing, and this is the second point I want you to understand. Discouragement grows when we isolate ourselves from others. See, whenever you and I are going through a difficult season of life, I've noticed there's a tendency in me to just kind of push away people. Maybe it's because I'm embarrassed. Maybe it's because I don't want them to know what I'm struggling with. Uh, It could be a lot of things. But that's not good when we're alone. We don't have anybody there to encourage us. We don't have anybody there to talk us out of our spiral when we're just getting paranoid. We don't have anybody to remind us about the promises of God. And and it's not good for us to be alone. In fact, didn't God say early on in creation, it's not good for man to be alone? But Elijah was panicked. He wasn't thinking straight. He leaves his servant. And the Bible says, when Elijah finally is alone in the middle of nowhere, verse 4 says, he came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. So I want you to picture this. Elijah has now left his servant He's gone a full day's journey into the middle of the wilderness to be by himself. He finds a broom bush, which is a a broom tree is what you and I call a juniper tree. He collapses under its shade and he says, God, just kill me. I'm done. I've had enough. Well, this seems weird, right? I mean, Elijah, just not too long ago, a couple days ago, you had this awesome mountaintop experience. God showed up in a huge way. Uh, you killed hundreds and hundreds of false prophets, but then one woman threatens you and you freak out? What drove Elijah to be in this position where he was so paranoid, so panicked that he wanted to die? Well, believe it or not, I think the next couple verses give us a little bit of an insight into what was going on in Elijah's mind. It says this in verse 5. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. Note that. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. Also note that. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then what did he do? He lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and he ate and drank. What's going on here? Well, Elijah was toast, Right? He was exhausted. He was mentally, physically, emotionally done. And and I think that that really leads to the third point that you and I can understand about being discouraged. Discouragement peaks where we're not staying healthy. Think about everything that Elijah had just been through. He had just been in this super emotional showdown on Mount Carmel. Then the Bible says that he had ran 16 miles from Mount Carmel to Jezreel because he wanted to watch how Jezebel reacted to the news That God showed up. But instead of repenting or running away, Jezebel puts out uh, the the, uh, alert that he is public enemy number one. So then he freaks out. He goes another hundred miles to Beersheba, drops his servant off, and then he finds himself way out in the middle of nowhere by himself. The guy was worn out. He was done. Elijah was physically, mentally, emotionally spent, and he'd reached a breaking point where he was no longer even thinking clearly anymore. You ever been to that place? When you're so discouraged and everything's going wrong and you're tired and you're not really taking care of yourself, and you start to think things that you shouldn't be thinking. Well, that was Elijah. Sometimes we just need a good meal and a good rest to get our bearings straight, don't we? I uh, know you probably have heard of Jim Carrey, the comedian and uh, the the movie star. What you may not know about Jim Carrey is that he struggled a lot with depression over his life. Jim Carrey uh, shared on one interview, he said, you know, I would go and go and go from this to that to the other, and I would wear myself down physically, and then I would find myself in this place of deep depression. He said, but luckily after some counseling, I learned that whenever I was depressed, one of the things I needed most was deep rest. That's good, isn't it? When we're depressed, sometimes we just need some deep rest. We need physical renewal. I think that was the situation Elijah was in. He was so worn out, he just needed some rest and he needed some good food. It's interesting that um, many uh, uh, counselors and uh, addiction recovery specialists will say that people are most prone to fall when they are hungry, angry, angry, Lonely, tired, or stressed. They call it HALTS as an acronym so people can remember it so they can be a little bit safer and avoid being in that position. But that really describes Elijah, doesn't it? He was so hungry he needed a couple of meals. He was angry because things hadn't gone the way he wanted with Jezebel. He was lonely because he'd isolated himself. He was super tired because he needed a couple of naps. And was he stressed? Oh, yeah, he was super stressed. But the thing that he needed the most, he still wasn't willing to stop and receive. And so the Bible says that he just kept running. Verse 8 says, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. Now, here's Elijah. He's 300 miles now away from Jezebel. Paranoid much? Right? 300 miles away. And he goes to a cave in a place called Horeb. Now, what is Mount Horeb? You may know it as Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai was a very, very special place. It was called the Mountain of God because it was the place where God showed up and met with Moses and gave him the Ten Commandments and the law for the people. And I think that Elijah said to himself, I'm gonna be okay if I could just get to. Mount Horeb, if I could just get there, I'll be safe, and God will be there, and everything's going to be okay, and God, yeah, I just got to get there. So the guy ran for 40 days and 40 nights. But he was forgetting something so important. And it's the thing that you and I can forget when we are going through discouragement as well. Uh, In fact, let me share with you three things you and I need to keep in mind when we're discouraged and things aren't working like we want them to. Number one, God will never leave us. God has promised, Hebrews 13, 5, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Jesus said, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. For some reason, Elijah thought he had to travel 300 miles to connect with God, uh, to be in God's presence, God's safety. Elijah, you're a prophet of God. Don't you understand? God is with you wherever you go. You don't have to run away to find God. I think that's such an important thing for you and I when we're going through difficulty and we feel like God's distant. He's He's right there. I've had those moments, I'm sure you have too, where I'm praying and it feels like my prayers are kind of bouncing off the ceiling and I'm wondering, is God there? Does God care? Yes, he does. Absolutely, he does. God promised he's never gonna leave you and that's a promise you can take to the bank. Secondly, God is working his plan. There are times when you and I are gonna feel like, God doesn't see what we're going through. Maybe even God doesn't care what we're going through. Because we're praying, hello, God. You're not responding the way you're supposed to. Friends, God is working his plan. And his plan is working. We may not see it. We may not know it. We may not even understand what God has in mind. But the God who is powerful enough to create us and to save us, is the God who's powerful enough to keep us and guide us and direct us. Elijah needed to understand that. See, he, he was a prophet of God, and so he figured as a prophet of God, God better always be telling him what the plan is. Well, God didn't owe that to him. Elijah's he just needed to trust and obey, just like you and I need to trust and obey, especially when we're in times where things just don't make sense. He's working his plan. And thirdly, God is fighting our battles. Think about what happened on Mount Carmel. Was that a victory for Elijah or was that a victory for the true and living God? Well, I don't know. When I read that story, Elijah basically built an altar and cut up a bull and put it on there, put some water on it, and then he stepped away, right? God showed up with fire. God did the miracle. It's always God. It's always God that fights the battle. It's always God that can do anything. And whenever you find yourself in a position where you are wondering, are you on your own? I want you to remember the story of Golgotha. Because God loved you enough that thousands of years before you and I were even born, God fought the greatest battle of all to defeat sin and death. I want you to listen to the words of this song, and then you and I are going to finish the story of Elijah.
0: is In the sun In that grave, cause they ain't no stopping love. No, they ain't no stopping love. In the devil went down.
1: I think it's so important when we're discouraged, no matter what does or doesn't go the way we want in this life, that we cling to the cross. We remember that whatever the devil brings our way, and he's going to always keep trying to bring something to take us down, but guess what? He's defeated. Jesus has won. Death is overcome. And we don't have to be afraid. And even if we suffer, even if we struggle through this life, God's got a plan for us because you can't stop Love, that's the message of Golgotha, right? Now I'm sure if you'd been there when Jesus had been murdered on the cross and they took his body down and they placed it in the tomb and then they rolled the stone over and they sealed it, it looked like the end of the story for him. We know it wasn't, far from over. I think the same thing there in the cave with Elijah. I think he probably felt like that was the end of the line. That was the end of the story for him but it was far from over. In fact, right there in the middle of his paranoia and his fear and his confusion, God met him in that cave and God asked him this. He said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Did God need an answer to that question? No, Elijah needed an answer to that question. But I love how Elijah answered because he's just like you and me. He said this, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with a sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Was this true? Not exactly. It's true that Elijah had been zealous for sure. But see, Elijah was operating on a lot of assumptions about God and God's plan that weren't true. And I love that God loves Elijah enough that he responded to him in a very passionate way. Because there in the cave, Elijah was zealous for God, but here's the thing. He wasn't hiding there because he was all those things that he thought he was. He was hiding because he was afraid. He was hiding because he was tired. He was hiding because he was confused. He was hiding because he didn't think God had a plan. So he came up with his own plan. Well, God was awesome in this because God showed up in a very, very powerful way. Watch what happens next. Is The uh, Bible tells us that um, God sent, uh, God, excuse me, told him to go stand at the mouth of the cave. So Elijah got up, walked to the mouth, the opening to the cave. And then the Bible says that God sent this powerful wind and the wind just like tore rocks apart. But God didn't speak to him in that wind. The next thing, God brought an earthquake, shook that mountain. God didn't speak to him in that earthquake either. Then God sent a fire, probably caused by a a bolt of lightning that struck. But God didn't speak to him in that fire. Why did God do this? This seems so bizarre. Well, here's what I think. I think that Elijah was in such a dark place, such a discouraged and defeated place, that he thought that the only solution to his problems was if God did something supernatural. Supernatural. Isn't that like us? We don't look at God to do natural things. We want God to just do something huge to solve all of our problems. So God met Elijah where he was, because Elijah, after all, was on Mount Sinai, right? Do you remember when God brought the law to Moses? The Bible says that there was fire, and there was smoke, and there was an earthquake. Sound familiar? See, Elijah was looking for God in all these spectacular ways. When all along, God was ready to talk to him wherever he was. So God asked one more time. He said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah gave the same answer as before. But this time, I believe that Elijah was finally willing to listen to God For the first time since all this chaos began. And because he was, God began to encourage him. God said, I want you to go back. I want you to anoint a new king of Aram, a new king of Israel. That was good news. And I want you to anoint a successor named Elisha, who is going to be the person who follows you. And by the way, Elijah, there are 7,000 other people who have never bowed their knee to Baal. You're not the only one. You're not alone. And when Elijah started listening to the voice of God instead of the voice of his paranoia or even the voice of Jezebel, I began that uh, I believe that discouragement started to lift from him. And he started to feel encouraged again. You see, discouragement ends when we listen to God's voice again. Isn't his voice the voice that really matters? Doesn't he have a plan for us all? I think some of us are here and we're listening to this story and it's resonating with us because we have been running from our problems, hoping that God does some kind of miracle to solve everything. But the first words that God told Elijah are, go back. See, we can't run away from everything, friend, but you know what we can do? We can listen to God's still small voice. And when we do, I believe that that sets our mind back on track. It reminds us that God has a plan, that God's faithful, that God's fighting our battles, that God cares for us. I think some of us here today, we need to learn from the story of Elijah that one of the things we need to do is we need to have quiet time. It's funny that the thing I don't feel like doing often when I'm discouraged is reading my Bible. But you know the thing that's best for me to do is to read my Bible. That's what the enemy wants. He wants to keep me away from this book. So some of us, we just need to get back into God's word. Last week, Andrew talked about the daily devotional. All this next week, you can go on the Sagebrush app and you can get a devotional that relates to discouragement and you can read it every day. And I believe that when you read the word of God, the word of God reads you. God will speak to you. And he will assure you that he's faithful. For some of you, Maybe your struggle is you've been isolated for far too long. You've been dealing with discouragement and difficult things, and yet instead of surrounding yourself with people who can encourage you, who can pray for you, who can lift you up and bear the burden with you, you don't want anybody to know what you're going through. So you've been secluded and isolated. It's not good for man to be alone. I think for some of you, perhaps, you just need some rest. You need to take a break. You need to quit running and to slow down. Like Jim Carrey, you need some deep rest to help you when you're going through difficult times. Whatever God wants you to do, though, whoever you are, whatever you're facing today, I believe that God would have one most important thing to say to you, and that is this, that God is working his plan for you, and God's plan is going to work. God's working his plan, friend. God's plan is gonna work. Let's pray. Father, I know that uh, this is a heavy series. Uh, This was a heavy message. It's rough to watch the story of Elijah and how he ran so hard, so far to get away from it all, only to realize the solution was there all along. It was you, it was your voice, it was your love, it was your presence, it was your assurance that he didn't need to run 300 miles. He just needed to look to you. I pray for my friends who are here today, Lord, who are struggling, who are going through discouragement, and, man, the enemy seems like he's winning against them. Would you give them encouragement today that you're on it, that the battle belongs to you, that you're completely aware of what they're going through, and, Lord, you have the power, you have the ability. Lord, you have the plan to get it fixed. If they'll just trust and obey, help them take the steps they need to take today, I ask it in Jesus' name, amen.